0: Everywhere The Christmas lights are shining But the one back then was the brightest star And down the road there's a baby in a manger That the three wise men came to visit from afar Jesus is the reason for the season Let's put Christ back in Christmas while we still can Jesus is the reason for the season Till every woman, child, and man On Christmas we'll be opening our presents And enjoying all the joy and Christmas cheer But don't forget the reason for the season Cause the baby in the manger's why we're here Jesus is the reason for the season Let's put Christ back in Christmas while we still can Jesus is the reason for the season Till every woman, child, and man Jesus is a reason for the season. Let's put Christ back in Christmas while we still can. Jesus is a reason for the season. Till every woman, child, in man, child and man.
1: Merry Christmas, everyone, and good morning. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the director of Children's Ministries, and we are so happy to have you with us there this morning. I'm thankful that that drizzly rain went away last night. We could actually come in without getting pelted by little raindrops that were moving sideways, it seemed like, last night. Uh, A quick show of hands, who's, like, completely ready for Christmas? Okay, good. I'm in good company. Um, I'll see the rest of you out this week at like Walmart and Target and the mall probably. Let's remember to be kind to our, our friends and our community as we're rushing around. Um, but we are so excited that you have chosen to start your day with us this morning. We are going to pray the Lord's Prayer together to get our service, service started the right way. So if you'll stand with me and we're going to pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for just being God. For being good and for loving us enough to send your son to die for us um, at Easter and to be born on Christmas, God, just help us to remember that he is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Help us to pause and to just sit in your presence, pour out your peace among us, God, and just um, help us to remember, help us to remember the real reason and then to go out into the community and share that love and that joy and that light with others. God, I pray for our eyes to be opened and our hearts and our minds to be open to hear what you have in store for us today and throughout this week. I pray a blessing over Pastor Clint as he brings our message and our worship team as they lead us in praise and worship. God, I'm excited about what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Awesome. We're glad to have you guys here and uh, just want to invite you to sing with us and um man, just start our time together in a time of song, time of praise. So we'll have the words here on the screen. Love to invite you guys just to worship as one voice. Thanks for singing with us, and uh, we're going to continue on in worship this morning, and um, just all um, December that we've been able to be in the series together, Make Room, and it is such a, a um, I mean, just a cool time to, to walk through Scripture with that idea and, and what we're keying in on. Um, and the stories that we get to see and just be reminded of. But um, especially in this season that can get so busy and and just distract us with so many things, that idea of keeping the uh, most important thing first and foremost in our minds um, is is just so important. It can be so life-changing to us and life-giving. I wanna read this verse, uh, a couple verses from Hebrews just as we continue in and focus our hearts and our minds on who it is we worship this morning. And this is uh, Hebrews 10. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new, a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And just such a gift to be reminded of the full and complete, perfect presence of God that we have access to through Jesus because of what he has done for us. And just as this song, which is um, very keyed in on our series of of making room, the the thing that the biggest takeaway in this is the surrender. You know, God wants us, um, he he is there for us. We just sang Emmanuel, God is actually with us, Um, but he doesn't make us, Come to him and we can freely come into his presence um, and we do that with surrender. So um, just give you freedom to worship um, however you need to worship this morning. Um, you can stand and sing and lift your arms um, and worship. If you want to sit and kind of reflect on this, feel free to do that. We have the um, altars up front if you need to come here and feel God's presence there. So let's continue on worship together.
3: Your
2: bringing us here together God thank you for your faithfulness and the hope that we have in you and thank you for the reminder of just that we're not alone God that that idea of Emmanuel that name of yours that means that you are here with us and that we can fully enter your presence God Jesus you made that way possible and that new and life-giving way that we have and we um, are just so very grateful for that. God, it can be a scary prayer to say, do what only you can do, God, and and that idea of surrender can be so scary as well because we want to think that we are in control, but God, we know that you are ultimately the one in control. You make our heart beat. You put air in our lungs, God. We just wanna pour that back out to praise to you because you alone are worthy of it, we thank you for um, being good and being kind and being merciful. God, and then we can trust you and we can anchor ourselves to you and you alone. So thank you for just the reminder of our voices here that um, we are in a community and we are not alone. Jesus, help us to remember this is your church fought with your blood and that you care for us. So thank you for all that you do, all that you are doing, God, all that you've done and all that you will do. We look ahead excitedly um, just to know that you are working and you are moving. We love you so much. We thank you so much. God, we praise you and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can we lift a shout of praise to the Lord, church, this morning? Thank you, guys, again, for being here and um, for singing with us. So uh, we're going to continue on in our message of make room and jump in the word together. Before you guys sit down, if you would, just say hello to somebody around you. Welcome them. Give a wave. And uh, if you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in, and we will be right back at you.
4: Good morning. Welcome to Community Life. My name is Clint. And I get to be the associate pastor here, and I'm so, uh, so blessed to be able to do that. So thankful that you're here with us, gathered in the family room or joining us online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We know there's a, a million places y'all could be, and the fact that you made room in your schedule and you're choosing to be able to, to spend time in worship and diving in the Word and praying together and just doing what the church does, it's a pretty special thing. So thank you for being here. Scott and Tammy are at a wedding in Oklahoma, <clears throat> Tammy's uh, family, uh, her people are from Oklahoma, so they're there celebrating a wedding uh, for one of her cousins that, uh, that happened yesterday, so be praying for them, lifting them up, Scott texted me earlier this morning and said it's 36 here, and uh, for an old Florida boy, that's, that's like negative a thousand, I think, so, uh, so y'all, y'all pray for them as they, as they travel, they'll be back later this week, but, uh, but give it up for, for them. Um, here at Community Life, we are about a few things. Our mission is simple, and we keep it that way, and we keep it in front of us. And if you've been here on a Sunday morning, you probably know it. It's simple. It's at Community Life, we love God, and we love our neighbor, and our mission, our goal, our purpose, our motivation is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe truly that Jesus is the source of life. And when you find that, you want to hold on to it for everything you everything you can, but then you also want to share it with everybody around you as well. So all of our, our programs, all of our ministries, all of our missions, all of our worship things, everything that comes out of this place, we want to always to love God, love our neighbor, and connect people to Jesus. That's just what we're about. I love the stories that I get to hear from the way that you live this out in our community and the way that... You, uh, you share Jesus with those people at your work, uh, the way that you share it at school, at Walmart, on 98, hopefully, uh, and all those places in between. The ministry that comes out of this place through your work is absolutely incredible, and it's beautiful. <clears throat> so thank you for being that church. We've got a few things coming up that you need to know about. Uh, and the next couple of Sundays is going to be kind of all over the place, of course, with Christmas and New Year's Eve and kind of a new year starting. Uh, you need to know about a few things. So first thing, next Sunday... Next Sunday, y'all, is Christmas Eve. So if you haven't done your shopping yet, you're almost in the red zone. Like, Amazon might still be able to get it to you in time, but you probably want to jump on that pretty quickly. But for, uh, for next Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, we've got four services. We've kind of mixed things around a little bit. If you have tried coming to the 8.30 service and you found out, you know what, I just like waking up late, you're in a good place. We will not have the 8.30 service next Sunday. Instead, the 10 and 11.30 services will be uh, will be going on in this room. So uh, so come 10 or 11.30, those will be the two services that we're also offering childcare for preschool, I'm sorry, from birth to preschool. So if you have a, a birth to preschool child in your house, you can bring them at either the 10 or 11.30 service, you can put them in childcare, we'll all be gathered in here. If you have a elementary school, a middle school, or a high school student, we'll be in here for all the services. So just uh, jump in here, bring them together, big family thing. And then we also have two more services that afternoon at 3.30 and 5 o'clock. All the services are the same in this room with candlelight, same worship, same message, all of it. So you can pick your whichever one works out best for you uh, and come to one of those. But then, again, just keeping in mind when we have uh, child care for birth to preschool students. New Year's Eve, the following Sunday is New Year's Eve. We love this Sunday. It's such a cool time because we will have one service. It'll be a shortened service. That's not why we love it. That, that's not that wrong. That's not that wrong. The reason we love it is it's one service, everybody packed in this room together, birth to, I think, oldie goldies, and everybody kind of in between, <clears throat> everybody in this room to celebrate, to wrap up uh, uh, 2023, to receive communion together. So that'll be a communion service, an abbreviated service, but everybody in this room, one hour, all ages. On Christmas Eve, you will, you will want to be at that one, and then also the following Sunday, January the seventh, we're changing a little bit of what we do in kids ministry and in youth ministry as well. What uh, Matt and Nate are doing, for example, in youth ministry. They're going to have one hour of youth at 10, like we've had, and then during the 1130 hour, during this hour, they won't have youth upstairs. Instead, Matt and Nate will bring them into this room and sit with the uh, the middle and high school students in here, trying again as a strategy to connect them back to the hearts and the life of big church, right, of everything that's going on. So if you have a middle school or high school student who typically attends this service, know that they can either sit with you in here or hang out with Matt and Nate Um, who your youth may think are cooler than you are. That's just a suggestion. They might be. Uh, And then during the 1130 service for kids ministry, we will offer birth to preschool child care as well. So elementary school kids can sit with you in this service. Again, we're trying to shift that into more of a a family service in here. So elementary, middle school, high school students starting January 7th in this room at 1130. And again, I'm excited about the... uh, the energy that having, uh, having them in here will be. So if you have any questions about that or any of the other events or things that are coming up here at Community Life, of course, on the seat back in front of you, there's a QR code. You can check out the website. But if you hover a, your phone over the QR code on the left, it'll tell you all of the events and things that are coming up. There's also a link on the right to giving. Thank you so much for being so generous and consistent and faithful with the way that you give of your, your tithes and your offerings here. If you're not comfortable doing it online, or you'd rather drop a check in the box, there are boxes all around this building, so you can, uh, you can connect and support the ministries uh, that come out of this church uh, in that way as well. So again, thank you for doing that. I think that's it. I think that's it. That's all our time. We're going to wrap it up. We're going um, <clears> to, <throat> just kidding, that was a ton of, ton of announcements, but we're going to jump into scripture now, if that's all right with y'all. We are continuing our service, uh, our series rather, called Make Room. As we were planning the service, we know that there's a lot of uh, a lot of times that during this time of year things get crazy, y'all. Like crazy crazy. I needed your prayers yesterday because uh, I blew a hole in my jeans and I had to go to the mall. Yep. I went to the mall on a Saturday during this season, and uh, luckily I got out of there. Uh, we survived. It was a whole thing. But this season can be crazy, y'all. With uh, Y'all probably had four or five Christmas parties yourself. Your kids have Christmas parties. There's a neighborhood Christmas party. Your work has Christmas party. There's all sorts of stuff going on. So as we were looking at this series, we wanted to make sure that we, as a church, are able to just to, to pause and to make room in our time in our space, in our minds, in our heart, to remember what's most important about this season, to be able to focus our minds and our hearts on what God is doing and how Jesus came to us as the greatest gift ever. A couple of weeks ago, Scott talked about uh, how Mary and Joseph made room if you can relate to their story, you know that they had plans, right? They planned on getting married. They planned on starting this. They planned on kind of having the, the nice little life, but then, then God, right? We can read any story of anybody in Scripture and find out that there was a plan and then God. But he came in. He showed up to a young uh, lady who was uh, engaged to be married and said, yeah, this is the plan that God has for you. And she said, yeah, let it be, let it be unto me as you said. I'm I'm in. And then Joseph, he doesn't say anything, he just does it, right? We don't, I don't think Joseph speaks at all. Um, and then last week, looking at Elizabeth and Zechariah and their plans, right? The way that they made room in their lives and in their family and in their understanding of who God is and how He is active and moving in the world around them, and they made room for him. Today's story is very similar. We'll read in Matthew chapter 2. I'll be reading from the uh, New International Version, but feel free to read along uh, in whatever version you prefer or, the, of course, the... Um, the verses will be on the screen behind me. But before we jump into that, a little bit of the backstory of Matthew. So Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He's also known as Levi. We see him come on the scene uh, as a tax collector, and Jesus calls this tax scandalous, calls this tax collector to come and follow him and be one of his disciples. So the guy who's writing this has seen firsthand Jesus' teaching and performing miracles. Sees him risen from the grave and is offering his insights, the stories, the personality of Jesus in this book. And I love it. So Matthew is a Jewish guy writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. So as we're reading through this, we have to consider that one of Matthew's motivations for writing this is not only realizing that soon a lot of those Uh, Those first-generation people who experience Jesus will be dying off, so he wants to to kind of catalog it all and, and write it all down, but he also wants to speak to the Jewish people who are considering Jesus, maybe, or seeing how their faith plays into this Jesus guy. And so what Matthew does is he connects their Jewish faith and their Jewish roots and their Jewish history through Old Testament Scripture, what we now call Old Testament Scripture, straight into the life of Jesus, So throughout Matthew's entire book, there are countless prophecies where Matthew points back at Old Testament and says, see, this is Jesus. Remember when we said that this prophecy was going to happen? That's Jesus. Remember when the the, um, prophets, during all this crazy stuff that was going on, and they didn't understand it, and they didn't know what was going to happen, and they just kind of said, all right, God told me that I had to say this, and then they said this hundreds of years before? Yeah, that's That's Jesus. So again, he's pointing his Jewish audience back to their faith, their history, their culture, and saying, that's Jesus. But he doesn't leave it at that, though. Matthew does something beautiful and gracious, even in this. He offers space and makes room for Gentiles as well. Something that, at this point, the Jewish people would have been a little distraught about, would not have been typical that he offers Gentiles key places throughout his book where the Gentiles are lifted up or come to an understanding before even Jewish people do. And that's exactly uh, the example that we read today in Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi. We'll get to that in just a minute. As far as writing it, he probably would have written it after the book of Mark. So most scholars believe that Mark wrote his account first, and then Matthew and Luke wrote theirs with Mark's understanding and his Uh, scripture in his text in hand, they may have used another um, account called Q to write to that as well. And so what Matthew and Luke are doing are kind of filling in the gaps. Again, Matthew's using firsthand experience and able to, to lean into some of the stories that the other two don't. And this story, we don't get in the other ones, but Matthew shares this with us, and it's a beautiful story. Before we jump into it, though, let's pray. God, we're so grateful for this gathering, for your word. God, we just are grateful in our hearts that you have made room for us during this time. Thank you for these folks who have made room in their schedules. And I pray that you'd help us to make room in our minds and our hearts for the message you have for us. A message that perhaps we have read a thousand times before, but just like you do, there is something new and fresh and relevant to our lives each time we come to your word. So help our spirits, help your spirits to help our minds understand this, remove the distractions, and help us to be able to to grasp what you have for us. We love you, and we thank you for meeting us in this place. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, there's more backstory you need to know. So we don't have the luxury of knowing what first century Jewish folks would have known. There's a ton of inferences. There's a lot of stuff that uh, Matthew probably assumes his readers know, which we wouldn't be privy to in our lives right now. There's a lot of names, there's places, there's a lot of backstories, there's a lot of history. So to briefly touch on that, we're looking at um, even just places. After Jesus, so hopefully you heard of Jesus before. Jesus, okay. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea. Bethlehem, if you are a first century Jew and you heard the word Bethlehem, there's a few things would first come to your mind. First thing, birthplace of King David, right? David and Goliath, David. This is the same city in which Samuel also anointed David to be the next king. And if you were a good Jew in the first century, you would also know that from the line of David, the coming Messiah would be born. So there's a ton of history. There's a ton of stuff just in the word Bethlehem. If I'm hearing this as a first century Jew, I'm thinking, oh, what's, what's Matthew turning?" So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I've got all these thoughts about David and king and and being um, appointed and anointed to be the next king. I'm thinking about David's lineage and David's line. Where is he he going with this? And by referencing this, Matthew is also setting Jesus apart from all of the other messianic pretenders as royalty. Yeah, in these days, and before that, there were other people that show up on the scene and pretend to be the Messiah or claim to be the Messiah. But when Matthew says this, again, he is connecting us back to prophecy and saying, this is, this is the guy. We've got a map. Of course, we're on a Sunday morning. We've got to have a map and a laser pointer. So uh, just so that you know kind of where we're talking about, you can picture this, if this will help you. Uh, lean in, if not, uh, yawn wide. This is east. Right, so the, the wise men we'll read about in a while will come from somewhere um, over here. And if you're online, uh, just know I'm waving at the far wall. So this is Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is six miles to the south. So just outside of Jerusalem, of course, the center of Jewish culture and religion. It's where everybody will have flooded into for big festivals. And this is where Jesus is born, just six miles south. So all of the religious elite, all the religious leaders, they would have been in Jerusalem. And this is where our story is for right now. Thank you for that, Matt. So one of the people we we hear in this, uh, during the time of King Herod, Herod is the king. Now you may be thinking, king? I thought the Romans were in charge at this time. Yes, yes, they are. So the Roman Empire is ruling over all of Israel but they have placed certain almost puppet kings in place to kind of help keep their people in check and rule over their people under the authority of the Roman Caesar. So this person at this point in time, his name is Herod. He's known as Herod the Great. I'm not sure if people gave him this name or if he just called it himself that. One of them is more important. I'm not sure. But the Roman authority um, allowed him to rule from about 37 BC until a little bit after the story we're going to read about today. In his early years, he rebuilt the temple and some of the uh, scholars actually said that it was more grand and more beautiful and more um, splendid than even Solomon's temple. And so he got to be known as Herod the Great and this first part of his career as king was going super well until it didn't. Later in his ring, uh, reign, rather, people um, started maybe talking behind his back, getting a little you know, suspicious. And so he became paranoid and terrified and anxious about this for fear of losing his throne. And he actually had, scholars kind of differ on this, one or maybe two or maybe three sons that he had killed and a wife killed also because he, he feared them taking his throne and, and kicking him out. So obviously a king, a ruler, a man who is was uh, unhinged, and unstable, and not fit to rule. This is the guy who's in charge and named king of the Jews at this time. We'll also hear about the Magi. They're, uh, maybe we've heard of them known as wise men. The wise men were astrologers. Some also say they were sorcerers or practiced witchcraft, like all sorts of stuff, some scholars say, from their, uh, from their country. They were from the Parthia Empire, 100% maybe, across where is now modern-day Iraq and Iran. So imagine the hundreds of miles that they would have crossed to get from there all the way to Jerusalem. Matthew talks about them as if they were foreign dignitaries. They show up with some sort of clout, right? And they probably weren't kings. They were, we also refer to them as we three kings, right? The three kings. They probably were not kings. However, they must have had some sort of place in the court. Of their kingdom, because when they show up, Herod wants to meet with them specifically, and he doesn't want to meet with anybody. He is a king, and only royalty would be able to have an uh, audience with him. They practice other beliefs, but they could have known about Jewish beliefs from the exiled Jews from days of Babylon. So, do you remember the, the stories of Daniel? and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, when the Babylonians came in and they conquered uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they scattered them across their empire, it could have been that those Jewish people took their beliefs, and their texts, and their stories with them, wrote them down, and these kings from this other empire uh, in Parthia may have had this text to, to go from. So, most scholars believe that they were pagans, they didn't believe in the one true God, but it's plausible that they also had access to our Old Testament texts. Crazy, right? Just in one verse, that's a ton of stuff. So, after, so now we read it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. New understanding of that, hopefully. Verse 2 says, and they asked where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Could you imagine, you're Magi, you're showing up in a brand new culture, a brand new city, a brand new place, and you just start, hey, we're looking for the one they call the king of the Jews, like the new king. Where's the new king? We saw his star come up, walking into this royal city. We, we know it's the king of the Jews, so we're going to come to the Jewish royal city can you guys help us find where the new king of the Jews is? And you start asking around, and King Herod hears about this. He's like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? New king? No, no, I'm the old king. I've been here for you know, about 39 years, something like that at this point. There's no new king. There are no. I'm the king. You don't need any other new kings. What are you talking about? I'm a little paranoid about this. I'm a little distressed. What are you talking about? I mean, this would be, stay with me for a second. I'm going to try to put it in our, in our sort of understanding. <clears throat> this may be awkward. Imagine, gentlemen, no, thank you, Siri, Imagine you are home, guys, and your wife's there, y'all are hanging out, maybe the kids or grandkids, like everybody's just kind of playing, hanging out. It's a beautiful day, right? Everybody's just kind of there, and someone comes knocking on the door. It's someone you don't know, and they say, hey, yeah, yeah, yes, can I, can I help you? And they say, we've come from a long way off. We've traveled many, many miles, and we are here to meet your wife's new husband, Weird, right? And you're like, no, 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 like I, I am my wife's husband, the only husband, the the one husband. That's that's it. That's it. wait, what babe? What's going on? Like what's happening here? And this is a sort of awkwardness that the three kings, the three magi, the magi would have walked into and said, Hey, we're looking for the new king. And they're like, There is no new king, there is the king. Do you want to talk to the king? And like, no, no, we saw his star, there is a new king coming. What what new king? Also in those days, a new star would have generally been thought of as the rise of a new king. So several cultures at this time would have studied the stars and believed that if there was something new on the horizon at night, there's a new star, this must have heralded something big, a new king, because the gods control the skies. And if this is happening, then something magical and big is happening here. So it could be that the Magi came to Jerusalem because the star led them there and that's it. Or perhaps they had access, as we talked about earlier, through the Babylonian um, exile, to Old Testament or the Old Testament prophecies, and they read that. They saw the star, like, we we cannot explain this. Let's go back into our libraries throughout time and read and find out what this is. Perhaps, Matthew doesn't tell us us this, but perhaps they stumbled across the prophecies, as in in Numbers chapter 24, verse um, 17, which talks about... Uh, a prophesied king and his star, perhaps they read that and they said, this must be what it is. Let's go follow that and chase it. But I do love, I want to point this out, the reason for their travels. is said, hey, we've come here to worship this new king. I hope if nothing else this season, we can make room to worship our king. I know there's a lot of other trappings, a lot of other things that are going on but hopefully those things point us back to the reason, point us back to Jesus and his birth. The Magi came and they claimed to travel to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. This word disturbed, if we dive into it and we look at it, it means agitated, it means inward commotion, it means make restless, it means to render anxious or distress. And if you have a king who is a little off his hinges and has already murdered people in his own family for threat of his own throne— You live in Jerusalem, this is what's causing you distress. It says the king was distressed and so were the people in Jerusalem. This is what would have jacked you up knowing this guy ain't right, y'all. This guy is, I cannot, I don't know what he's about to do, but it's not going to be pretty. And so this caused um, them to get flustered and disturbed at this thought. This would have been ultimately very concerning If a ruler or a leader gets this way and has access to the army, right, and access to people and access to to power, and this is what Jerusalem was concerned and disturbed with. Verse four says, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among these rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Notice first that he said that Matthew says he called together all the people's chief priests. He didn't even give Herod the opportunity to claim him. But Herod oftentimes used this group of religious elite, the leaders of the church, as his own personal ad, uh, advisory board. And he, because he was so concerned about the baby Jesus and wanted to worship him with all of his heart also, I doubt it, but he reached out to this group and said, hey, I need information. What do you guys know about this Jesus and this coming? These guys showed up from this other country and they're talking about a star and a new king. I need to know what's going on. What's going on here? Where's this baby going to be born? And they said, Bethlehem, we read the Bible. Have you read the Old Testament scripture? Like it says it right there. And he's like, oh yeah, I totally, totally know. I've totally heard that before. Herod didn't call these priests and the teachers for religious reasons, but he called them to find out for his own political reasons where this was happening. He was trying to avoid a political overthrow. Remember in Bethlehem, the Jews of this time would immediately recognize that this was the place that the Messiah was coming from, So not only is it a new king, but when the scribes mention Bethlehem, I'm sure Herod just hits the roof at this point. He's like, not only is a king, but this Messiah guy is coming, not hit the roof in excitement, but in worry for his own throne and power in place. This prophecy is written about in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Again, Matthew pointing back to the Testament uh, and the the prophecies rather of old. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Again, Herod's intention should at least be questioned because those early readers would have known what he did and what kind of king he became later in his rule. The Magi's timeline, unfortunately, would be used by King Herod in just a few verses from now for his horrible plan. Somebody asked, why didn't, why didn't Herod go himself? Why did he just allow the Magi to go? Well, there's a couple of thoughts there. Maybe a king, the king of the Jews showing up in this tiny town and looking for himself would have caused too much public notice. He may have been worried about that. Let's not add more speculation onto this child that probably would have already been arisen at that point. I mean, think story of Zechariah and Elizabeth probably was starting to circulate, stories of some uh, virgin mother who gave birth starting to circulate a little bit. There would have been a little bit of a buzz going around in this first century uh, Jewish town about this child, right? And so if King Herod were to show up, it may have inflated that, and he definitely didn't want that. He may have also just wanted to send them, perhaps as, as spies, hey, y'all go check it out and report back to me, because I can't show up there. I'll blow up, uh, it'll, it'll go crazy. Everybody will know that I'm there and why I'm there. And he, Perhaps, though, he just couldn't be bothered with another claim about a prophesied messiah. Verse 9 continues, and it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Again, I love how Matthew writes in Gentiles into this story. They traveled the last six miles of their journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Again, imagine traveling not in cars, not on paved roads, but on animals and on foot, hundreds of miles, you get to Jerusalem, they said, yeah, the place you're looking for, it's six miles to the south. It's just a, just a quick jaunt down there. As they're traveling there, they get overjoyed. It's a fascinating star, isn't it? The Magi follow it for hundreds of miles, and then it stops in the exact place where the child was. Some scholars speculate that it could have been a comet, could have been a star, could have been um, something like that, but regardless God is able to and use whatever it was to draw those people who are far from him straight into his greater story. I love, again, the Gentiles were included in this. Notice in these verses it says the child was. It doesn't say the baby was. So we know that this must have been, as the Magi's timeline gives it, maybe two years. So this time Jesus may have been about two years old. And the, the Magi are probably not included in that original nativity scene given their timeline. Have y'all ever been around a two-year-old? And you, yeah, we, we chuckle and we laugh, we think about this, but imagine Jesus, right? The perfect, truly the spotless, the blameless lamb of God. I wonder what he was like as a two-year-old, right? That's a, that's a fun thought to think about. Like, I wonder if strangers from a distant land came to my house and said, hey, we are, we are here to, to see your child. And we had, our, and our girls were still two. I may have been like, yeah, you got some money for Chick-fil-A and pizza? Like, you stay here, you worship. My wife and I, we're gonna spend about three months. We're gonna go. When they come back, when they're three years old, it'll be a hoot. It'd be great. But they showed up to see a baby. They showed up first at the palace, though. And they said, yeah, yeah, keep, keep going. Six miles farther south. And instead of a palace, they find them somewhere else. I do love that the Magi were overjoyed. When was the last time we were overjoyed with the idea of Christmas, right? The coming of Jesus. When was the last time that we felt that sort of warmth in our heart? I think it's so cool that they hadn't even seen the baby yet, but the very sight of the star, which was the precursor to it, that just pointed them in that direction, caused them to be overjoyed. We've driven to Disney uh, once or twice And there's something about when you're driving in and there's like the big gates and it says, you know, welcome to Disney, that kind of stuff. Like my girls get overjoyed at that that sign. Like there's some sort of thing that as you get closer, we're not even at the thing yet, but just that sort of like warmth and excitement and being overjoyed at the sight of it is pretty and cool. Maybe they were excited because their journey was over, but I think because they knew as they walked up to that humble little wooden door on this probably a tiny little house in Bethlehem, they knew on the other side of that door was the king. Imagine that. Imagine traveling so far, all the, the challenges and struggles you went to get there, even just on a, on a hunch, on a hope, on a wish that this could be, a, this could be something big. You've traveled away from your home. You've gone so far. You've gone and talked to this other king who's pointed you, and you're finally standing outside the door. You've finally arrived. You're about to knock on it to see the king. Overjoyed. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice the family wasn't in the manger anymore. Some time had passed and I guess Bethlehem somehow made room for them and found them a house and a proper place to sleep out of the, out of the cold and away from the animals. I love how Matthew includes the Magi, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, in his account to be the first people to worship Jesus, not the king. Not the religious rulers, the scribes, the people who should have been knowing and watching and seeking, but people who had traveled far with nothing but a hope and a hunch in their hearts. I love the gifts. They worshiped and then they gave. They opened their gifts, they presented the gifts, not normal gifts that you would get for a two-year-old, I have to admit, right? It's kind of strange. I'm guessing these wise men don't have children of their own because there's not much a child can do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it is a gift that you would bring royalty, gifts that you would bring a king, gifts that you would offer to the one who might be the king of the world. Gold because it's precious metal and it's a gift for a king. Frankincense and myrrh because you, the the idea of burning incense goes up to God, and and the other for embalming, right? That was a spice they used at the time uh, in in the in the preparation of a body for burial. So some scholars like to surmise that maybe this was even uh, pointing towards the end of Jesus's life, that he was a God and he was a king and he would be killed as a man. We can get into all that, but it's pretty incredible the gifts that they bring. And even practically, these gifts are probably what provided a way and finances for Mary and Joseph to be able to flee, and we'll read about that in just a couple of verses, to be able to flee for their lives into Egypt because they came from humble roots. They probably wouldn't have had money to go and to travel and to get out quickly. And so they probably took these gifts and used them and sold them to be able to finance their trip as they ran. And these gifts are also prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, specifically naming these gifts. I love how Matthew continues to show us that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, returned to their country by another route. Notice how God, and when Matthew talks about dreams in his account, it's only ever God who gives dreams. It's only ever God who speaks to people like this. And notice how God is only reaching out is also reaching out to Gentiles in this as well. Maybe it's their their small spark of a hope, of a faith inside of them that's able to, to allow them to be connected to the God of the universe. But at any rate, God reaches out and speaks to them in a dream, just like he has in his people. The Magi took great risk by not returning to Herod, and risking his anger, and maybe their hair would go after them. There's a risk there as well, and they returned home. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. Matthew doesn't write anything about this, but imagine the Magi with these incredible stories about standing outside the little wooden door and knocking on it, and the door opens, and it's not a palace. There's no fancy things. It's just Mary, a teenage mother, and Joseph, apparently a man who never speaks, and baby Jesus there. And be able to return home and share those stories and say, listen, you guys, I could tell you, but you won't believe it. This king, he lived in this tiny town in obscurity, parents that didn't have any sort of royal, royalty about them. And, like, and you, you, gave, you gave them the gold? Is that, what, is that what I'm hearing? You gave these people the gold and the frankincense and the murray? And he's like, yeah. Imagine if these magi were the first missionaries back to their own culture, their own city, and their own town. God can do amazing stuff. Matthew doesn't say anything about that, but my heart leaps at that sort of idea that they could have been the ones to bring the good news home with them. Verse 13 says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Joseph, still the dreamer, again connecting Joseph of the New Testament back to the Joseph of the Old Testament, does so, he gets up, and he leads his family into Egypt. This also harkens back to another Old Testament story in 1 Kings chapter 11, where Jeroboam flees for his life into Egypt because Solomon's trying to kill him. After Solomon dies, he returns back to become the king. There's so much rich stuff in here that's oftentimes lost on us that first century Jewish folks would have certainly grabbed a hold of. Verse 14 says, so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Joseph just does. These next few verses are ruthless and terrible. 16 says, when Herod realized Uh, that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious. And we see what a furious, unhinged king does when he's been publicly humiliated. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the timeline, the time that he had been given from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's from Jeremiah 31, chapter 15. At this time, Bethlehem was a very small village, and biblical scholars can best guess that there were some around 20 children who were killed because of King Herod's fury and his selfishness and his anxiety and his poor choices and the evil that was inside of him. Could you imagine a king who would intentionally cause such harm and affliction on his own people just so that they could stay king? One who's supposed to be the center of their religious identity. This act should remind us just how broken the world was back then and how broken our world is today and how much they needed a gracious, good Savior, and Jesus to be their king. Because we couldn't get it right, for sure, without him. In this, we even see where Herod acted this way in an attempt to crush Old Testament prophecy and to change and thwart God's plans. But instead, what we see is continued fulfillment of, of prophecy. Herod thought that he had change this. But regardless of the cruel intentions that are in someone's heart, the plans and the promises of God will stand. Verse 19 says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph is still dreaming and still doing and still not talking and they returned to Nazareth to start their new lives there. They stayed away from Bethlehem because they were of, afraid of Herod's son, who was ruling at, that, ruling at that time. So from this, in our series, Make Room, looking at a few of these characters in here, we look at the wise men. The, the room that they made in their lives to, to go, to go and travel. You might be traveling to visit relatives this season, and this comes at a great expense of time and money. And maybe if it was in those crazy relatives, your sanity and your mental well-being. But it was, they felt that it was worth their time and they made room in their hearts. They made room in their hearts to allow themselves to be overwhelmed. Again, a group of people who are scientifically minded and try to figure out the next thing. And they, they allowed their hearts to grow and to dream and think. What if this is the new king. Found a quote that says, those who live at the greatest distance from the means of grace often use the most diligence and learn to know the most of Christ and his salvation. Maybe simply stated, for those people who are the farthest from God, when they experience God, they realize the great distance that he has traveled to bring them through grace to himself. They took a step of faith not to return to Herod on the way home. They defied a king to believe in a God because of a dream. The prophets made room. Again, Old Testament prophets, they made room in their hearts and in their lives and, like, God, you said it, I'm gonna speak it. And there was danger involved with that, that they shared, and how incredibly um, masterfully their words connected so many back to the heart of God to foretell Jesus. God made room. God made room for the wise men, for Gentiles from pagans who were probably far both spiritually and geographically from, from God. And he included them as the first documented worshipers of Jesus in Matthew's account. God placed them there to offer gifts to provide a way for Jesus' family to be able to travel. I wonder if we're willing sometimes to share the things we have to advance God's plans. For Mary and Joseph, they made room, still making room. For God. And his words to be first in their hearts as they fled to Egypt, a foreign country away from family, away from friends, away from support, away from their culture, and all of this with a toddler in tow. For Herod, though, Herod did not make room. He didn't grasp the spiritual nature of God's coming kingdom and the Messiah's role and doesn't make room for what is certainly the coming of the Messiah. He considers himself and his kingship and his place over God's plan to redeem the world. And for Matthew, lastly, he wrote to a Jewish audience, but he made room in his account for Gentiles, for you and I, because he believed in the promise of God gave to Abraham. He said, your children will be a blessing to all nations. So the Savior of the world is not just for Israel, but for everyone. As the band comes out here and gets ready to close, I want us just to consider in this season, what does that look like for us as we continue to make room? What does that look like for us in our time, in our hearts, in our understanding to maybe reach out a little farther in our faith? Perhaps some of us recognize with the wise men who feel like we're far away, but know that God is right there and pointing us towards him. Maybe for some of us, we don't wanna make room for Jesus in this season. Maybe for some of us, we just need to be able to turn our throne over and give it to him. Maybe for some of us, we just need to continue to listen as Mary and Joseph did. Wherever we are, I would just challenge us all to make room for him. Find find a place for him. I'm so thankful to be able to, to share this with you today, to be able to jump into scripture, to be able to worship with you and spend time with you. Thank you so much for this. Would you guys stand with me as we pray and get ready to close? When I'm done praying, the altars will be open. I'll be over here on the side uh, to pray with you personally about things if you need prayer, and we thank you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so thankful for this opportunity to worship. We thank you for making room for us in your story. God, I pray that you would continue to lead us and to guide us, push into those areas where you see that we need to make room in our lives, and we love you. So your son's name we pray and all God's people
3: said. to
5: grateful that you could join us today, that you made room in this busy season to hear a word from uh, God through Pastor Clint today. Um, If this is your first time or you're new here, we would love to meet you in the Next Steps room um, just out in the lobby around to the left um, to get you plugged in and see what we can do for you and how we can walk alongside you. But before we go, let's uh, join together in prayer. Sweet Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that in this season that we can seek your face and um, that you sustain us and that you can carry us. Father, we just pray that you give us opportunities to make room for others in this season um, because you first made room for us with your son. And we just... uh, ask that you please remind us of that in this season that can get so crazy and so far away from us. Be with us as we go into this week. Allow us to be a light for you in this community and in um, our travels. and, And just bring us all safely back together, Father. And we just thank you for your son. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.